Cut, and this is the K-Cut, cinema podcast for cinephiles. James here. I am one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast, and I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm Rachel. I write for Films Fatale, and I love world cinema and classic movies. I'm Andreas. I'm the creator and one of the writers of Films Fatale, and I love international and art house stuff, but a little bit of everything. Today is a very interesting topic. It's one that I, I came up with. I ho- I'm hoping it's interesting, I mean. I've always had this thought. When I'm, when I'm watching like an older film and I see somebody like, let's say like, you know, okay, like a most obvious example would be like a Brando in On the Waterfront or Streetcar. And you feel like he doesn't feel like he's of the same class of actors or actresses. He feels like he comes from the future. Simultaneously, you have somebody like Kate Bloodshed, who, even though she's like a chameleon of, of an actress, she has shown time and time again that retro classic Hollywood type of performance, whether she's actually playing a golden age icon like Catherine Hepburn, or she just exudes that type of mentality like in Blue Jasmine. So initially I was going to ask, which performer would you plant in a different era? One of my favorite hobbies. Yeah, exactly. I, and I'm sure we've all done that before, but this isn't an acting podcast. It's a movie podcast. And I feel like that's interesting, but it's not as interesting as it could be. And once I bit off more like it, more than I could chew, which I always do, I decided, what if we take directors who could fit in a different era and see who they could work with, like what cast and what kind of a movie they could make. So we're going to do this in two different ways. So each half of this podcast is going to cater to one or the other. The first one we're going to do, we're going to take a modern day director, use a time machine, send them back into a classic era. So this could be the silent, golden age, or even up to the new Hollywood eras, let's say. So let's say the 20s to the 70s, you send them back there, get them to work with a fitting cast. So, you know, it can't be like Emil Jannings and uh, I don't know, Marlon Brando, because they wouldn't have like worked together necessarily. Like it has to be something that would actually work. And what kind of a film they would, what, what kind of a film they would come up with? On the other hand, while we're there back in time, we're going to steal one of their directors, bring them to the present and see what they can make now. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to start off by going back in time with a modern director. And I guess just uh, kind of explain in greater detail with an example, I'll go first, since this is my very weird idea. So the modern day director I want to use is Alfonso Cuaron. And I feel like he would fit perfectly right in the middle of the 60s when there was international art house film that was really taking off and really going international. And at the same time, Hollywood was starting to see the potential of what it could be with the very, very, very bare edges of the new Hollywood movement. So Alfonso Cuaron is going to be making an art film about a biker gang that is trying to make a name for themselves in a new town. So there's this outside gang. I'm not sure where they're from, but they're visiting this small town in Italy, only to butt heads with the established mafia that's already there. 
So the leader of this biker gang in Alfonso Cuaron's film is going to be a very young rising star by the name of Robert Redford. Ooh. And he's going to have the, the rest of the biker gang doesn't matter because the rest of my main cast is spread out in different ways, but he's going to lead this gang and he's going to have that scowl and he's going to quickly identify with the love interest of the film, Sophia Loren, who is actually the daughter of the mafia head of the town. Who, who is the mafia head? Well, the mafia head is going to have to have some makeup done, but I believe he can act older when asked to, because he is arguably the greatest actor of all time. It's Sir Lawrence Olivier, who is going to be the mob boss at the center of the film, the main antagonist. This is getting better and better. <laughs> Thank you. And his mob wife, just because like you and Catherine Hepburn, I've got to put her somewhere every single time. His mob wife is going to be Audrey Hepburn, playing against type. Somewhat villainous, somewhat not wanting to be a part of the family business. Very conflicted. And they actually have a connection with another mob family. And their Sophia Loren daughter is supposed to be an arranged marriage type of business transaction. And she is supposed to marry another mafia goon, played by Alan Delon who is a fantastic Parisian actor from that time. And finally, we need somebody to be in the middle of this all, in between the mafia versus the biker gang. We're going to have a corrupt cop, played by another rising star, Albert Finney. And that is the Alfonso Cuaron film. It's going to be shot like a Mikhail Kalatozov film. So like The Crates Are Flying or um, right. I Am Cuba. So like the, like the crazy camera work. I'm kind of feeling like an older 60s version of, like, um, The Conformist. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've got here. That is my modern-day director making waves back then. I didn't ask for this, but just off the top of my head, this thing needs a title because we went this far. Um, what, why don't we call it Cycle? Okay, then. Because it's a biker gang. It's the the cycling of the mafia families. It's the, the systemic violence and corruption let's call it that there's probably a better title there somewhere but that's why this doesn't exist it's the title alone so uh would either of you pay to see this <laughs> i think so i'd put it on criteria that probably. seems interesting cool well i'm very eager to hear what you both have so uh who wants to go first with their one so I was thinking about directors that would have fit in well in the really classic golden age era. So that would have been 30s, 40s, studio system. And the thing about the studio system is it was about churning out a reliable product. You made tons of movies a year. Sometimes you got a masterpiece. Sometimes you got some really awful ones. Most were kind of in the middle. But the point was you were constantly making movies. And I was thinking, well, who would fit in well to that system where you really got to be within a set of standards? Tom Hooper, you guys. Are you actually using Tom Hooper? I'm actually using Tom Hooper. Okay. So, yeah, because I don't think he has yet made a, a film that would set the world on fire. In fact, a lot of his films have been okay to bad. I think The King's Speech was pretty good. I'm not sure if I would have given it a bunch of prizes, but overall, no. he's solid, but I wouldn't say he's brilliant or a huge innovator. Hooper, I think, would fit pretty well in that era because I think the studio would be able to rely on him to make an entertaining product. I think he could make some interesting movies. He would fit in well within that system. And overall, I just think maybe he lives in the wrong era. So my Tom Hooper movie would be, I can't decide whether I would want it to be a biopic 
or a fictional story, but it would be the story of a musician. And it would have some music in it, of course, and some choreographed numbers and things like that. But it would also be quite a serious tone, not really what you think of when you think of Hollywood classic musicals. So I would envision Gene Kelly in this one, and you would really look at his dark side, um, which I think Stanley Kramer exploited quite well in Inherit the Wind. And then June Allison would be the lead actress, and it would be very similar in vibe to Night and Day, which is about Cole Porter, or um, the Glenn Miller story, which is about Glenn Miller. And yeah, I think that Hooper would be really great at turning out Hollywood musicals, and this one would be a particularly stellar example. I really like the approach you have here because you didn't just pick a director that you necessarily love and want to see back there. You went with somebody who maybe was born in the wrong time and could do better in another era. Yeah, I think the man has talent. I don't think Tom Hooper is a bad director. I just think he hasn't quite got the chance to shine yet. Well, I mean, if you make cats, that's that's never going to happen. But maybe that's exactly what it is. Maybe he's just supposed to have been back in the day making something in a different system. Oh, yeah. I can see many of his movies playing well back in the day. Maybe not cats. Oh, well, at least I wouldn't have CGI back then. So maybe it could have been better. Yeah. So is there any other like uh, stuff you want to add to it or? No, nope. that's just that's it. Okay. James, what do you have for your uh, traveling back in time film? So I was trying to think of what era I wanted to go to. And I did have an idea that I'm not going to use, but there's only one reason I wanted. I wanted to throw Wes Anderson back in time just so he could use Technicolor. (gasps) That's cool. But I couldn't think of anything like I wouldn't know who he'd work with. I wouldn't know what era he would go in because he can really fit anywhere. But I was just thinking, man, Wes Anderson with Technicolor would just be mind blowing. How about on Nitrate? I think that would be even better on Nitrate. Oh, yeah, that would probably be insane. So I was thinking I wanted to bring a modern director to the new Hollywood era. So kind of like the late 60s to, you know, through what the early 80s is what it is. But I mean, we'd kind of keep it between like 65 and 75. So what I really like about this era is just how they kind of did away with any sort of anything that was like whimsical or lighthearted. It was just, you know, really gritty, dark stories. You know, you have these tormented people dealing with existential crisis and these like insane situations. And I thought, what modern director really tackles like darkness well? So I decided I want to put Zack Snyder in a time machine and throw him back there. That would be okay. Interesting. Except it wouldn't be as grandiose as he likes to be. I would want to keep it a little bit smaller, but make it like a oh, kind of a noirish heist thriller. And it would star Jack Nicholson, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, and Al Pacino. Wow, that is a cast. You've got me already. And I kind of want to have a storyline where it's something like The Departed or Reservoir Dogs, where one of them's a cop but they don't know who to trust. They're all suspicious of each other, but they all trust each other more than anybody else. And I just think that his current style would fit very well back then, especially with like lighting and color. Like he, not only are his films usually dark, but the tone of the filmmaking itself and the visuals match the intensity of that. And it it would be really interesting to see what the types of film stocks and what they had at their disposal back then. And also, I mean, regardless of what people think of Zack Snyder, I honestly, the only complaints I hear are usually with typical nuances of his style, but I personally think he executes just as well as any master of cinema. Like he works with actors. Well, he knows how to get the shot. He knows how to run a production. And I just think, you know, in that system, I think he would fit very well. 
Yeah, potentially. I mean, that's that seems like a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty solid lineup there. Plus, all those guys younger, they they were just like amazing. I mean, there's they're still great actors now, but you know, in those early days, it's it's really impressive. You know the kind of performances they were able to give back then. So to see them with this director, I think would be really interesting. It'd be so much energy in each frame. Yeah. I, I wonder like what restraints there would be for somebody like Snyder back then, but how could he, how could he like push through them knowing his style? Well, which side of the death of the Hayes code are we on? Yeah. Like what year are you thinking James? Probably like 1973. If we picked a, picked an exact year. Okay, so it's like dead. People are really pushing the envelope by this point. Yeah, the Hayes Code is like dead dead at this point. Like it doesn't exist. So I think 68 was the sort of nail in the coffin. I'm also considering, I don't know if I want it to be, I'm trying to figure out what kind of heist. I'm almost thinking a train heist. Oh, train. Interesting. It would be interesting because he has these like, kind of drawn out tales like a heist film taking place on a train that is done in his kind of like drawn out style will be interesting yeah because those those type of stories are typically designed to be fast paced but i think he could slow it down in a way that would actually make sense maybe it's, it's interesting that you bring up train though and I'll, I'll get into that a bit later but uh are there any other details for this this uh this hypothetical film of yours or i would want bernard herman to do the score Oh, we should have. We yeah, we should do scores too. I guess oh, yeah. yeah, that would be that would be the rug the times that ties the room together for sure. Yeah, because you know I'm just thinking of the score he did for Taxi Driver, and I'm just thinking like, man, he was such a great composer. Okay, okay, I think I'm gonna have to consider that for like my my next hypothetical one. Yeah, so music music is very important. So shall we come back to the present now? How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Yes, I think we should. Are we bringing anybody with us? Yes, that's a, that's precisely the point. So I'm going to bring somebody back. I think his films have really transcended a lot of their own eras as well as time itself. I feel like he is very good with like larger casts or ensemble casts as well as any genre which I think is very important in today's climate, which has even bigger casts and a lot more genre bending. So I'm going to bring back one Billy Wilder back to the present. And Ooh, that's a good one. I've got a very interesting plot, which actually also takes place on a train. So there you oh, go. Awesome. Yeah. So this is going to be a little bit of everything that he's done, but like to the max. So this is a modern day screwball. And this takes place on a train with a series of potential murderers. So it's secretly also a whodunit. However, the screwball element comes from a runaway informant who has de- detectives like really like right behind her. And she gets on the train to, to avoid them. However, the train stops because of a murder. And of course, the twin detectives are the ones who tend this call on the train. So this is just like the biggest, like 
mishap because she's trying to avoid them. They're trying to figure out this murder. Murder could strike again. So there's all sorts of crazy stuff. Plus, the detectives are twins, like literal twins. There's not two <laughs> of them. They're, they're literally twin brothers. And the twin detectives are going to be played both by Matt Mickelson. So that's going to be pretty crazy. The informant herself is going to be Anya Taylor-Joy, who is an undercover spy who has been busted by government. She is, uh, again, on the run. But at the same time, now trying to also figure out who the killer is so she doesn't get killed. While the detectives who who don't know that she's on the train but are trying to like find her and then they they, they follow her tracks, they find her on the train, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know they can only solve so much. So she's trying to do a little bit herself. It's her story. So who are the potential murderers on this train? Well, we've got Christoph Waltz who is a poacher and he sells ivory. We've got Riz Ahmed who's like a like an upscale librarian figure. We have a young Millie Bobby Brown, who is a busker. She does, like, um, you know, circus stuff in the streets, uh, you know, of the lower class. We've got Viggo Mortensen as a butcher, a guy who, you know, just, like, slices meats, does whatever he can to make a living. Hong Chow is a very wealthy real estate agent. And finally, Mahersha Ali is a record label owner. So this is modern day, by the way. So this is, like, in, like, the movie's modern day, but, like, it actually takes place in modern day as well. So... We have a whole series of people. We don't know who's doing it, but at the same time, we can't even focus on that because we have like another, another game of cat and mouse happening at the same time. So it's going to be hilarious. It's going to be frightening. It's going to be shocking. And it's going to be just the quirkiest damn film of the year, but legitimately thrilling. So there you go. I like it. That sounds like a really good one. I think since you discussed score just off the top of my head, uh, Nika Levy is going to do the score for this because it's got to be intense, but it's also got to be quirky. And I feel like they could do both. So let's do it where it's going to be. I don't actually have a title for this one. Uh, we could call it estranged on a train. So like, uh, like a, like a play on strangers on a train, but there you go. And that's going to be by Billy Wilder. So I hope that would do well. James, do you have a, a filmmaker you're going to bring back to the present? And if so, what are they going to make? Oh, yeah. I'm going to bring back the OG Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. Okay. What's he going to make? And it's funny you said Anya Taylor-Joy because I wanted Anya Taylor-Joy to be the star of mine. Well, I mean, who doesn't? (laughs) Who doesn't nowadays? He's going to do a remake of Carnival of Souls. Okay. So you're still inspired by the the smorgasbord of a couple months ago. Cool. Yes. I would be really interested to see what Hitchcock would do at doing a modern take of that. Because it seems like it's right up his alley, but he'd probably turn it up a notch with the suspense. Because, I mean, there's points where you can tell there's suspenseful moments for the character, but you don't quite feel it as an audience. Yeah. Also, I would like to see what he could do with that final scene that, you know, was unfortunately cut down because it didn't work out. So to see, like, actually the actual Carnival of Souls really, you know, kind of crescendo up to what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I just think it'd be really cool. You know, it'd be interesting bringing 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 back bringing a director to the future to do a remake of a film that was around in his time. That would be pretty interesting. Also, I'd have the score done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Oh, okay. That oh, sometimes I hate this podcast because it makes me wish for things that'll never happen. Right. Also, I'd probably have because uh, I'm trying to think of the um, the neighbor who's like trying to go out with her. I'd probably have it be Timothy Chalamet. 
<laughs> naturally. Well, I mean, they would be really good together, uh, Anya and Timothy. They're two of the greats of, of the new generation. Yes, I want them to be in a movie together, and it needs to happen. So yeah, that was basically it. I didn't really have anything other than that. I, I mean, it's self-explanatory. It's like, oh, we'll do a remake of this with newer people. I do like that because, again, it's a, it's a different spin on on the question because uh, I didn't say that you couldn't do remakes. So that's interesting. What would somebody back then do with the technology now? I, I mean, also knowing Hitchcock, he already was remaking his own stuff from the silent era afterwards or even like uh, pre-code stuff to like post-code or like during the Hayes Code, he was remaking his own stuff. So what if he even like redid like his stuff with like modern day technology. I feel like that he would do remakes. I feel like he would do like, you know, adaptations of his own work. That's just how he was. He was just always finding ways to like advance. Alrighty. So that leaves uh, one director left that we could bring back on our time machine. Cause there's a, uh, there are six seats here. Uh, who are you going to bring back Rachel? Okay. So I was originally going to go with Howard Hawks, but he kind of goes in on the screwball territory. Yeah, my apologies. So I think I'm going to watch The World Burn and I'm going to bring back Frank Capra and pair him up with Aaron Sorkin and see what the hell happens. Okay. So that's going to be like a really like witty, smart, but sentimental type of film. Yeah. So you've got all the sort of, you know, I mean, Frank Capra's dismissed as being corny, but I think there's a lot of sincerity and I think he does have a lot of intelligent points in his films. I think Aaron Sorkin is a little bit harsher on the world and sometimes he's a little bit too cranky and I think they would balance each other out quite nicely. So I've always had this idea for a premise in mind and it is that the Canadian Prime Minister and the President of the United States fall in love. They meet at a conference or whatever and they're absolutely head over heels in love with each other and they have to hide it because you can't have two leaders in love. But there's this huge thing coming up, like an enormous trade deal or something like that. And so they have to work this all out. And of course, there's a big sentimental scene at the end and everything. And so I always wanted the Canadian prime minister. This is going to be a little bit odd because she's British, but I wanted Helen Mirren in the role. Okay. And then I also wanted Alec Baldwin to be the American president because he kind of has that whole charismatic political thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think written by Sorkin and with uh, Capra at the helm, it would be very interesting. That would be an award season, darling, for sure. Or Golden Globes anyway. No, but like if it's like, I feel like it could actually be really good as well. So yeah. And it would be nice to pair a sort of older Hollywood actress with an actor a little bit younger than her. Yeah, because usually it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, who 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 can ever have enough of Helen Mirren? Oh, I mean, yeah, that's that is certainly true. So, yeah, and the score could be written by basically anybody, and it would be the same movie. So I'm not going to pick somebody. <laughs> uh, Cliff Martinez. <laughs> sure, I like I'd, Cliff Martinez. Okay. Yeah, let's let's do that just <laughs> just just for argument's sake. Cool. Okay. Well, those are all of our hypothetical films. So sorry, listeners, they don't actually exist. But maybe one day when uh, Elon Musk creates virtual realities that we can uh, jump into and make anything, uh, <laughs> we could bring these to life and uh, they'll actually work and we could sell them as NFTs. But let's uh, no, let's 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 not get ridiculous here. Let's. Uh, they did bring back Lawrence Olivier for that one movie with Angelina Jolie. That's true and i wish they didn't <laughs> like i wish i wish they would leave that stuff alone like look we we came up with uh these ideas and this was this was my concept 
we don't want these holograms or uh, CGI or deep fakes. Th these are all hypotheticals. So please don't actually do this because you can't also mimic the style of somebody else's directing. Sorry, J.J. Abrams. Sorry, Steven Spielberg. But, um, you know, when it comes to, like, the actors and stuff, yeah, let's just leave well enough alone. And actually identify with real existing films. So let's leave you with our weekly recommendations. James, do you have one for this week? Like a real movie? A real movie? Yeah, I'm just going to totally random. I'm going to go Julian Donkey Boy by Harmony Corinne. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of directors, uh, Werner Herzog stars in it. So <laughs> Yes, in a very interesting role. That movie's just interesting. I'm not going to say anything about it. You just got to see it. The The main thing is it's a Dogma 95 film. It's actually the first American one, I believe. I think so. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, it's uh, it's Harmony Corinne, though. You just know it's going to be crazy. Rachel, do you have a weekly recommendation? Yes, I'm going with The Miracle of Morgan's Creek by Preston Sturges. It's such a weird off-the-wall premise that I'm not sure how Sturges didn't get drummed out of Hollywood over this one. It is completely strange. It should never have been made in the 40s. That is a director who is out of his time. So I think you'll enjoy it. Speaking of which, um, I feel bad because this was Howard Hawks' time to shine because I don't think he has before on, the, on this podcast before. So I'm just going to recommend my favorite film of his. And this is going to get me in hot water. It is light years better than the exploitational excessive remake of it. It's Scarface, the 32 version. I love this film, and uh, Paul Moody in, in the uh, in the lead role is fantastic. It's one of the all-time great uh, classic gangster films, so Howard Hawks is Scarface. And before we go, you can also check us out on social media under the K-Cut at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And our cinematic smorgasbord movie for this month is Supernova, starring Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci, so watch along at home if you're interested. Yes, that'll be fantastic, and please uh, tune in at any time. Uh, let us know what some of your favorite movies are, how you're liking the show, and if you've come up with your own hypothetical movie ideas. Who did you send back in time? Who did you bring back? So that was the K-Cut, and now we're going into the L-Cut. L-Cut.